So, Father, this is our prayer. Our prayer is that uh, you would fill this atmosphere with, uh, with your Holy Spirit and draw each one of us closer into you. God, we, we, we cry out to you for more. More. More of you, Lord. More of your Holy Spirit in our life. So Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. You are the Savior. When there was no hope, you invaded hopelessness and brought us hope. Brought us promise. And we just want more of you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. You know, it's a little... We, we, we already, do we turn around and shake hands again? Uh, <laughs> you guys are creatures of habit, aren't you? Um, you know, I, I just want to, uh, to welcome all of you again and just say it's great to have you here. And if it's your first time with us, great to have you here. And if you're a person considering the claims of Christ and looking at, uh, at uh, uh, a relationship with God as a, as a possible uh, place in your life, I'm going to ask you just to sit back. I want you to feel comfortable. We're going to talk about some things today that very honestly even makes a lot of the church feel uncomfortable from time to time, but because we're going to talk about more, and sometimes, sometimes God stretches us out of a comfort zone into some things that are a, a little, little awkward from time to time. Uh, because we want to have God in a box and we want to have him predictable. And, and God is so big that sometimes he says, I love you so much that I, I do want to stretch you out of, you out of your comfort zone. And so this morning I'm going to ask you to just uh, approach everything with an open heart, open mind. What is God saying to me and what does God want to have taking place in my own personal life? And um, God, I thank you that you've got a, got a plan for me and, and you've... Uh, want me to be drawn more and more into your presence. And so the idea today is more. Do you need more? You find sometimes in your life that it's not producing exactly what you wanted it to produce. That's a pretty broad question, isn't it? Pretty, pretty safe, you know. But, uh, but God, I, I need more. I want more of you. We're going to be talking about that and talking about some stories today of people who wanted more and how God met them in that place of more. And he gave them more of, of who he was. There's a passage in, in the book of Isaiah. And in Isaiah, uh, God is he's, he's talking to his, to his kids through his prophet Isaiah. The children of Israel, they had been rebelling against God and they had gone their own way. They'd hardened their hearts. And God's trying to get their attention. He wants to call them back into that place where he knows that they were made to live and that relationship with him and and he, he's told them that you know what some some of these times you're just you're doing these religious things religious actions and they're you're just walking through a system you have your fasts but they're just a they're just a tradition it's just something that you do all the time you you're not humble before me you're not paying attention to my presence you you're doing other things and in verse 58, and I'm, he's kind of laid the foundation of their, their hard hearts. And, and he says to them in, in, in chapter 58, and um, in, in, I, have, I have very weak glasses this morning. I grabbed the wrong ones on my way out. So if I stumble over a word, does anybody have any like, like glasses that are about that thick, about 250s? Um, you got some 250s, Terry? No, I, I, I've used your glasses before. <laughs> and, uh, this what? Coke bottle. I don't think I don't think it's going to be strong enough. But anyway, I'm going to read the, the part of this to you. Um, and in, in chapter six, it says, "Is this not the the kind of fast that I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice?" And to untie the cords of the yoke and to uh, set the, the oppressed free and to break every yoke, is it not to share uh, your, your food with the hungry 
and to provide the poor uh, with shelter. Okay, when you see the naked, to, to clothe him and not to turn from your very own, uh, and not to turn from your own flesh and blood. And then you will break forth from the dawn and your healing will be quickly, uh, will quickly appear. And then your righteousness will, will go before you and the glory of the Lord um, will, will be your rear guard. And you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will hear. And he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry to satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then, 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 then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched lawn, land. <laughs> I made that up, the lawn part. I made that up. <laughs> in a sun-scorched land, and it will strengthen your frame. Does your frame need to be strengthened? Is your body hurting? And you will be like a well-watered garden, a well-watered lawn, like, like, like spring whose water never fails. He goes on to say that there's promises that are going to come. And then this next part's going to be on the screen of Isaiah that I want you to, to pay some attention to. And this is something that is an important part. He says, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and... And from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause, I will cause you to ride in triumph on heights of the land and, and to feast, to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, God says so. <laughs> God says so. And he says, if you'll honor me, now, now coming into the Jesus that I am, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, I am the Sabbath. Have that place of, of dwelling and having your sources met, met in me. And, and this is something I want to talk about today, of the importance of, of not just the, re, the religious thing, but being that person, as this Pastor Steve says all the time, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. I'm spiritual. I, I'm a spiritual being. I don't want this dead religion thing, but I want to have that spiritual walk with the Lord. This is that, that sign of it is going to be that you're going to have that heart of God, that you're going to care about the oppressed, the people that's been shoved down. You're going to care about those that are, that are hungry. And I, I'm going to talk about this in just a brief fashion this morning, but, but, but this is the heart of God. The heart of God is those who have had their dignity taken away from them. They've had the, the, the thumb of the enemy shoving them down from one hopelessness down lower into another hopelessness. And Jesus comes in and he invades hopelessness and he gives us a place of promise. And many of you that are involved in the food bank, you know, you've gone there and you've seen, you've seen people and, and you've seen them receive a box of groceries. And, and what happens is, you know, you realize that you're doing what the Word of God says. You're doing something in that you're taking care of the needs of people that, have, that through different reasons, and we're not going to go into all the reasons of why, and we don't ask for why. We just know that they have a need. One of the needs is, is that they need to eat. I don't guess you, most of us are not like that. We don't need to. We, you know, we just do it because we want to, right? But we need to eat. We need, we need that, those places of promise and hope. And all of a sudden, you, know, you realize that you're helping somebody, you're, you're doing something that's making a difference in their life. But there's, there's more, and this is something I talked with Sylvia about yesterday. And, and, and one of the things that, that I want to encourage some of you to do 
is, you know, is to, you know, yes, come. Come to the food bank on, and, and, and be there to be a friend to these people that are coming in. But I'm going to invite some of you to, to do something. And that's to show up and as people are standing in line to maybe have a devotional for them. Have, have a positive thought for them. They don't need to be told that, that life is bad and that sin is bad. and, and they, just, they need to hear a message of hope, a message of promise, a positive word that's going to say to them, you know what, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. You have a God. There's a God out there that cares about you, that, that wants to help you through these situations that you're facing right now. And so, I, you know, if you would like to do a devotional, see Sylvia. We've already, you know, she'll, she'll set you up on a little, little thing where you can go and you can just maybe talk with a group of people or, or share it three or four times. But some way where we're doing more than just say, hey, here's some food, be warm, be fed. But here's also some promise of life. God cares about you where you are. And God wants to be involved with you. For those of you that drop that, that dollar every week into those little five-gallon water jars to, to feed kids in Africa, I want to I say thank you. But also, I'm, I want to say to you, don't buy yourself off with that either. God wants your heart, not your dollar. The kids want your dollar. Uh, they need it. I've got to tell you something. They need it desperately. They need it desperately. You know, inside of our church family, the reason that we, we have this, you know, this, 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 this thrift store, you know, on, on Foothill Boulevard and, and Town Avenue is because it, it, keeps the thrift, it keeps the food bank open. When you bring in your clothing, your, your used clothing and your used items, and you talk to your neighbors and say, oh, don't, don't throw it away. Give it to somebody that's going to do something good with it. It's going to be able to, to feed people, to, to help meet people's needs. It's something that takes place because it's the heart of God, the heart of God, and he pays attention to it. I'm going to tell you something else also. He pays attention when we don't do it. I think that some of the reasons that Christians are in places of need and of, of, of want is because they've never moved into a generous heart. They've never moved into a place of, of, of giving. It is give me, give me, give me. Serve me. Give me what I need and what I want. But getting out of our place of it's all about me to the place of I want to serve. I want to have the heart of God because I know that God does pay attention to it. Look at this passage in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. Centurion, this guy was a Roman soldier. He was the commander in, in the Roman army, the ones that was oppressing the Jews. He and his family were devout and God-fearing? Wait, this is a, this is a Rome. How, no, these are the... No, no, hang on. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God. Uh... I lost my, lost my place. Go, go back. Okay, he distinctly saw an, an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius uh, stared at him in fear. It's a good thing to do when you see an angel. Uh, you know, what is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and your what? Yes. Two? have come up as a memorial offering before the Lord. He was a serious man. And the, the angel just say, hey, you know, you're praying. Okay, good. But he says, you know, those things that you're doing, God's paying attention. Now, send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. Uh, he's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now, he, he does this. Uh, uh, our, our boy Cornelius, he, he sends, you ready for this? As, as the book of Acts tells us, he sends another Roman soldier who was a God, who loved, who loved God. 
and as well as another one of his servants who, who loved God. Here's Cornelius, the oppressor, the one who's a symbol of oppression, and, and they love God. And God is paying attention to his prayers. And all of a sudden, uh, here's Peter, and he's at, his, he's at the tanner's house, and he's there praying, saying, God, I love you, you're wonderful, you're wonderful, you're wonderful. And God does something. He, he gives, he gives uh, Peter a vision of something. Now, when I was a kid in Sunday school, I had this Sunday school teacher. Her name was Elsie Massa. I remember her very well. If you want to really impact a kid's life, teach Sunday school. You want your life to really, really count for something really, really, really important, teach Sunday school. And, and Elsa Massa, she brought this, this, this dish towel. And uh, she had this dish towel, and she had all these plastic animals that she was throwing this dish towel to, to, to illustrate to us that Simon Peter had a vision. And there was these certain animals that were in God says to, to Peter, here, here, eat these things. And Peter said, no way, man. Uh-uh, I'm, I'm a good Jewish boy. I don't, I don't eat Jimmy Dean sausage. <laughs> and uh, God says... Um, from now on, you do. He was, he was sending a message to him that what he was thinking was unclean, the Gentiles, they're now being brought into. Now, this is, this is the thing we're studying on Wednesday nights, that this was this incredible mystery of God that's revealed in the book of, of Ephesians, that, 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 that the Gentiles, that, that those non-Jewish people, they are brought into the family of God. They are grafted into the whole thing. And we are now all a part of the family. Those promises that was given to Abraham, the, those are our promises now. And that we belong to that family. And this is that place where, where God is, is breaking this, this, this thing and saying, now it's going to be different. Business is going to be different now than, than ever before. Anyone, whosoever will, may come. Gentile, I don't care. You're saved by, by, by the blood of Jesus Christ, not by carrying out Jewish traditions. And so Peter gets this, okay, I get it, God, I'm going to go. So, you know, after this vision is over with, you know, knock, 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 Roman soldier at the door, the guy, you're supposed to come with us. You know, you don't say no to a Roman soldier, you know. And um, so they, they Peter, Peter goes to Cornelius' house, and, and he, he start, you know, in true Peter fashion, he opens his mouth first off and puts his foot in his mouth. Well, you know, as a Jewish young lad, I shouldn't be here hanging out with you, but, uh, <clears throat> but, but I'm, going to, I'm going to do this. And, uh, and because, because, uh, <laughs> because God told me to. God told me to, and so, and so, and he's saying, okay, it, it's here. This, this is for who, sir? This is for everybody. This, this incredible thing is for everybody. And as Peter is trying to explain to them that this is a message for everybody now, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit fell on them, interrupted our boy Peter, uh, didn't let him quit talking. The Holy Spirit fell on everybody, and they were, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that, that they spoke in tongues. Now, this is the thing I'm going to be talking about today that for, for some is going to be a little uncomfortable. I'm going to stretch your comfort zone a little bit. But hopefully when you walk out of here today, you're going to find more comfort than, than ever before because of, because of the, the beauty of what God has in, in mind for all of us. The problem with, with, with a lot of the gifts of the Spirit is that they have been misadministrated. They have been misused. They've been used in ways that, that God didn't mean for them to be used or they've been abused. God does not quit and walk off and say, well, I, I'm not going to do it anymore. God is patient with us. He allows us to, 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 uh, to do things and get, our, get, our, get in the way from time to time. Uh, and so, you know, I, I grew up, uh, I, I grew up as, as a product of, of a phenomena that happened in America uh, a number of years ago, my my parents were Dust Bowl people. They came they came from Oklahoma to Bakersfield, California. Now, can you imagine this, folks? Being born in Oklahoma, raised in Bakersfield, Polish, and a Pentecostal. All, all in the same place, you know. Well, that, that's who I was. Because my parents, when they, when, they, when they made this move, they realized that they needed more in their life. And life was hard and life was difficult. You know, it's very difficult sometimes to reach people that are wealthy and that have everything going well for them. 
When people are in need, we tend to call on the Lord. And my parents were some of those people that called on the Lord. They paid attention to what God was saying to them. And out of that came, came a power that, that, that blessed their life in, in some of the most incredible ways. But as I'm talking about this this morning, again, I'm, I'm going to ask you to, to be, to please feel comfortable. There's not going to be any bizarro things that's going to be going on and happening today. But I want to talk with you about, about God's plan for us to, to have more. This more, whatever it may be, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a baptism of the Holy Spirit, a second work of grace. John Wesley is somebody through the Methodist movement, the early years of the Methodist movement, was a person that was committed to that second work of grace, that something that would take place in, after salvation, where there was something that God does in your life that gives you the more. The, 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 the holiness movement was looking for that issue of, of the more. The, the Nazarene church talks about that second work of grace or being sanctified, of calling for God to do, to, to do more in their lives because I want more of God. I, I love God so much that I want to make more room for Him. And so this morning as we are talking about this issue of more, I want to give you some things and I want you to be at ease. I want you to be as comfortable as you can possibly be. But at the same time, I want you to allow, I want to allow you, you to allow yourself to be stretched into some other places when God wants to give you more. Sometimes we allow God limited space. And God says, you know, I'm a little bit bigger than that little corner. Thank you. I think I'll take more room. Thank you. And so he, he does this. Um, I want to show you this first picture. What is this picture, and how does this picture impact your life? Well, it's a Victorian. I like Victorian, and I have a Victorian birdcage at home, so okay. Okay, the next one. Now, this next picture, I, I feel bad about this next picture. Uh, I, I don't know what I did when I cut and pasted, but poor little Agnes Osmond. I... Um, I uh, I ruined her. <laughs> Sorry, Agnes. Uh, but what is Agnes? How does she impact your life? And you go, well, I don't know. She's not my aunt or my grandmother, so I have, you know. The first day of the 20th century, January the 1st in 1901. Now, we start counting with the number one, not zero. So the, 21st, the 20th century started 1901. And in 1901, in January, let's go back to this, this, to this uh, the, the Victorian there. This Victorian was being used as a Bible college. There was a man by the name of Charles Parham who uh, was reading the Bible, and he says, wait a minute, we're missing a lot here. There's more to the Word of God than, than what we're experiencing. He's reading about the early church. He's saying... We're, we're not living in that. We don't have that. That's not where we are now. And he had a group of students that was meeting at this, at this Bible college meeting that was called the Bethel Bible College. And Charles Parham was out doing some speaking. And he left his students there and said, you guys just um, uh, pray, uh, pray for God to come and do something. And so on New Year's Day, on January the 1st, 1901, this little lady, Agnes Osmond, was saying, God, I want more, I want more of you. And all of a sudden, little Agnes Osmond began to be increased on the inside. She was praising God and thanking God for who he was and his beauty and his, his magnificence. And all of a sudden, the English language just didn't cut it anymore. And she needed more. She needed to express something to God in, in more of a way. And so, God, would you give me more? And little Agnes was the first one on the outpouring of, of Pentecost in 1901 that, that spoke in tongues, that used this prayer language to, to praise God and to thank God. A slow start began to take place, and some other people began to come around. And a a uh, a man by the name of Seymour was in the Bible College, and uh, he was there. And he a little later on, as he was experienced this this phenomena taking place in his life, then he he moved to Los Angeles, California. 
And as he moved to Los Angeles, he ended up doing a Bible study in some people's house. And in this, this house that he was there, something began to take place. In the book of Joel, in chapter 2 and verse 28, God is calling his people and he's saying, I want you to pay attention to me. I want you to get some emotion about what's taking place here. Don't be passive in what's going on. But he says, you know, in Joel, says, you know, blow a trumpet. Get things stirred up here. Pay attention to what I'm doing. And, and he says, when you do this, and if you'll start paying attention to my, my love for you, and if you'll pay attention to what's going on in the world around you, he says, and afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams. That's the stage that I'm in right now. Um, Somebody say, no, no, no. Uh, thank you. Oh, no, it's okay. It's okay. Um, your young men will see visions. And even on my service, both what? Men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There was a, a, a very strong revivalist that was impacted by what took place in, in, in um in, uh, in the outpouring of Pentecost in, in uh, 1901. His name is Smith Wigglesworth. Smith Wigglesworth, before he died, said, there's going to, be, there's going to come an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is going to, to radically transform lives. There's going to be a revival that's going to take place on the face of the earth before Jesus comes back. That is going to be an incredible revival. I believe that, that what Joel is writing about here is that latter rain. The, the day that there was the, 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 the initial outpouring of Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, uh, 50 days after Jesus was resurrected, and that, re, that, that was that outpouring that was the birth of the church. As you all know, historically, we went through some tough times with the Dark Ages, and all of a sudden, the breath of God is becoming to back, and there's this latter rain that Joel talks about in the book of Joel. And in this, this place, that there's something that takes place in, in, in Joel, and I believe it's what was taking place starting in, in 1901, and, and that something did take place. What took place? Let's go to the next, the next picture after Joel after Agnes, what took place was in this house. This house, um, it doesn't exist in that form anymore, but it's on Bonnie Bray Street in Los Angeles. And on Bonnie Bray Street, this house was there. One of these men named um, Seymour began to call people together and say, let's see what God wants to do here. Let's pray and see what God wants to do. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit began to show up in some powerful ways. People were getting saved left and right. People that were hopeless were getting hope in their lives. People that were alcoholics were being set free. People that were tormented by, by lifestyles and by demons were being, being set free. And it got to be so much so that eventually they literally wore this house out. It fell apart. And they had to go to another place, another place uh, at a mission on Azusa Street. And on Azusa Street, what happened was, is, is historic. It is something that we're all aware of now. This next picture is how the house looked after they rebuilt it. Uh, you can still go there today. You can take a tour on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday if you call ahead. Uh, but uh, the Azusa Street Mission is no longer there. We'll look at a picture in a couple of seconds. But I'm going to show you, this next picture I'm going to show you is a picture of the leadership team of the Azusa Revival. What do you see in that picture that doesn't fit into 1906? What do you see there? Diversity, you see black and white. What else do you see? Women. Women. You see, Joel said, I will pour out my spirit on your sons and your daughters. Now we have women pastors in our church not because we want to be politically correct. I, I don't want to offend anybody, but I don't care about being politically correct. I want to be spiritually correct. Amen. And the Bible says, and I'll put my son on your sons and your daughters. They're going to do the work. 
Only in Christianity do women really get a fair shake. Only in, in the outpouring of the Pentecost do we see this kind of incredible thing happening. The word at, at the time was that, that the, the color line was washed out by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit didn't seem to make any difference between male or female, so why should we? And this is what happens when that more comes, that there is that equality and there is that concern that takes place where there is that care for those that are, that are downtrodden. There is that care for the, for, the, for the hungry because it's the heart of God that begins to take place, that God begins to do these things. A couple of others, just for the sake of, of fun, a couple other pictures. This is a placard that's in front of the house on Bonnie Bray Street. That it, and then the next, the next uh, picture is a picture that is um, the city of Los Angeles put up and this is, this is the mission. Go back to the mission just so you can see it. But it's not there now. It's a, um, it's a business center that that's taken this, takes the place of this building now. And then the next picture, um, it kind of gives you the idea of where it is. You can see City Hall in the background. And then let's do the close-up. The Azusa Street Mission. This is the city of Los Angeles put that there. Site of the Azusa Street Revival from 1906 to 1935. Cradle of the worldwide Pentecostal movement. It's hard to get an exact count, but the, the numbers of people that would consider themselves Pentecostal, Neo-Pentecostal, Charismatic, Full Gospel, third wave, other little words that we use to describe something that goes on along that line. Somewhere between 850 million to 1 billion people across the face of the earth that would fall into that, that category of people who are saying, the gifts of the Spirit are for today. And that's something that, that I, I want to, to encourage all of us in is saying, God, when we want more, we don't want to put you in a nice little box over in the corner. But God, we want to experience all that you have in mind for us. And sometimes it might be a little bit uncomfortable. It might be, God might be stretching us. Because we all have our preconceived ideas of how we want God to look and how we want God to act. And God shows up, and sometimes it's a little bit different. But one of the questions that we're always facing is, are the gifts of the Spirit for today? Is it biblical and is it for today? I have sit through all kinds of classes in seminary with professors that are saying the gifts of the Spirit are not for today, that there's a secession, that all the gifts of the Spirit uh, concluded they all wrapped up when the New Testament canon was completed, that we didn't need the Holy Spirit anymore. And so there are, uh, that's a, a possibility. Um, then there are others that say, you know what, some of the gifts of the Spirit are for today, and I'll determine which ones. The ones that I'm comfortable with, I'll, I'll say. So I, I like the gift of, uh, of, 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 um, of evangelism, that's okay, and the gift of service, okay, the, the gift of teaching, those are, so I like those. But an honest student of the Word is going to have to say it is either all of the gifts of the Spirit are for today or none of the gifts of the Spirit are for today. Paul talks about when that thing which is perfect has come, that those things will cease. And they will say, well, the Bible is that thing which is perfect, which has caused uh, the, all the gifts of the Spirit to no longer be needed. Uh, at the same time, the people will say that, they will say, but I have the gift of teaching. Uh, uh, and and I, as much as I love the Bible, as much in you know the, the, the value we place on the, on the Word of God in this church, the infallibility of the Bible, we believe that the Bible is what we base everything on. But I do not believe it is that thing which is perfect. That thing which is perfect is going to be the return of Christ when, when it's set up. Until that time, you know, we're going to have needs. I'm going to need to have the Holy Spirit show up 
And I'm going to need people that have the gift of healing to, to pray for the sick. I'm going to need people that have the gift of teaching to, to go to the food bank on Saturdays and, and to teach somebody a little bit, to give them a little bit of hope. I'm going to need people that have the gift of service to go out into to people's lives and speak in their lives and say, let me help you out here. Let me do this for you. We're going to need people inside the body of Christ. They're going to be able to, to even prophesy to say, you know what? The word of the Lord is saying this. We need to pay attention. We need to get ready for something that's coming down the line. We need to do these things. And so what I'm saying is, yes, the, 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 and I don't want, if, we, if you want to take a lot of time to go into it, we will. But I just want to say that an honest student of the word is going to say all of them or none of them. And one, one of my seminary professors said, said it this way. Don't try and make the Bible say something that it's not saying, just to, 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 to fit what you want it to have it fit. He says, I don't, I'm, I don't speak in tongues, I don't like speaking in tongues, and I just simply got to leave it there. It is biblical, it is for today, I just don't want to do it. Finally, you know, somebody was just honest about it, you know, I just don't want to do it. And he says, I don't know if it's for everybody or not, but it's not for me for right now. So the question is, do you have to speak in tongues to be baptized by the Holy Spirit to be the Spirit-filled life? Um, and the answer to that is no, because I know some very, very, very... Well, let me put it this way. I've seen, I've seen some people perform some pretty awesome miracles. Uh, a friend of mine, Pete Wagner, some of you know Pete, he's written about 4,000 books. Uh, but Pete Wagner, I, I've seen him drive out. I've seen him heal people. I've seen him do miracles performed right in front of Pete. But he said, I don't want to speak in tongues. I don't, I don't do that. My wife does that. I don't do that. That's not my gift. But what I'm saying is that it is something that is there for us. Speaking in tongues is not the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But it is something that tends to always show up. And it's something that gives the believer uh, a, an advantage in their life. It's something that takes place when we are saying, God, I just simply need more of you. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 14, uh, Paul says that when I am speaking in tongues or praying in tongues that I am praying to God and it says that I am praying mysteries it also says that that is my spirit praying it's not so much my logic up here but there's something deep down inside of me that is crying out and it also says that when I pray in tongues that I am edified it builds me up it's one of the reasons that I, I believe that it is there for everybody. I honestly, I don't believe that God loves me more than he loves you. To say, I'm going to give Larry a special gift so he can be built up, but I don't really care about you. It's open for everybody, used in different ways, in different fashions, in different forms. When the outpouring of the Holy Spirit took place in what I, the, the, the second part of this latter reign, about in the 1950s, something took place called the Charismatic Movement. And the, 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 the father of the Charismatic Movement was a guy by the name of Harold Bredesen. Harold Bredesen, I, I, had to, I, I got to meet Harold Bredesen before he died. And he was an incredible man of God. He really was. Harold Bredesen was raised as a, uh, he, was, he was an Anglican pastor. At the time, he was pastoring a Reformed church uh, in Mount Vernon, New York. And he began to say, there's got to be more. He, he ran into, um, he ran into uh, some of you know the, the name Norman Vincent Peale. Norman Vincent Peale wrote a book called The Power of Positive Thinking. Uh, he also had a magazine called Guidepost. Um, an editor of Guidepost was a man by the name of John Shirell. And uh, Norman Vincent Peale had this encounter. He was talking with Ruth Peale and saying, you know what, I've had this incredible thing happen in my life. Um, a book came out in the late 50s written by John Shirell. He talks about meeting Harold Bredesen. And in meeting Harold Bredesen, he says, I, I want to find out more about this second work of grace, this baptism in the Holy Spirit. I want to find out more about that. I'm, I'm a believer. I love God. I, I, but, but I need to find out more. Is there more that God wants to do in my life? 
I find myself doing something. That, and Harold says, yeah. So Harold tells him some stories. And Harold begins to take John Shirell through some passages in his life. I, I'm, I'm going to read some things. To, I know that you can read. But I've, I'm gonna, I, I've tried to put this into my words and make it sound. But, but the, best, the best way I can do is, is to read it to you. The best way I can give this to you is to, to have you hear it from John Shirell and to have you hear it from, from, from Harold Bredesen. But Bredesen, come to this place, there's got to be more. I, I want more. I, I, if, if what we read about in the book of Acts is true, then I don't want to just read about it. I want to experience it. I want to have that presence and power of the Holy Spirit in my life, too. Bredesen determined that he was going to have this experience for himself. And he went about in, in taking a vacation. And he headed for the Allegheny Mountains. Um, and he hid himself away in a mountain cabin. And there began to pray around the clock. He made up his mind to stay in that cabin until he reached a new level of communication with God. Day after day, he kept up his prayer vigil. At last one morning, while he was standing outside the cabin praying aloud, stillness seemed to settle over the hills. Every fiber of Bredesen's body tensed, as if his whole body was, was being and it was entering into a, a new plane of, of, of awareness. He stopped speaking for a moment. And when he began to speak, out of his mouth came, and here are his words as I wrote them down that day when I was talking to him. These are Bredesen's words. A most beautiful outpouring of vowels and consonants and also some strange guttural syllables. I could not recognize any of it. It was as though I was listening to a foreign language, except it was coming out of my mouth. Amazed, curious, and frightened to death, <laughs> you have, knowing Bredesen, you would understand this, you know. Amazed, curious, and almost frightened to death, Bredesen ran down the mountain, still talking aloud in his tongue. He came to the edge of a small community, and there on the steps outside of a cabin was an old man sitting in a chair. Bredesen continued to speak in the tongue that was coming out so easily and naturally from his lips. The man answered, talking rapidly in the language that Bredesen didn't know. When it became, uh, it became obvious that they were not communicating, the old man began to speak in English. How can you speak in Polish but not understand it? The old man asked. I was speaking Polish? The man laughed, thinking that Bredesen was joking. Of course it was Polish, he said. But Bredesen wasn't joking. As far as he could recall, he had never before heard that language. Shirell goes on to say that as he was talking more and more with Bredesen, Bredesen shares in the story. At that time, Bredesen, he, he went to a hotel meeting, a meeting in a hotel, um, and uh, as he's there, uh, he, he was getting ready to leave, and he'd put his hat on a chair. He goes out to, to, to get his hat, and there's a girl sitting on, on his chair where his hat was. At that time, Bredesen was a bachelor, and his male instincts prompted him to extend the conversation beyond formal, uh, excuse me, you have my hat. Um, uh, the girl noted the clerical, by, Harold always wore a clerical collar, always, you know, he was a crazy guy. Anyway, um, the girl's eyes um, uh, Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Okay, uh, Bredesen. The girl uh, noted the clerical collar, and in a few minutes, they were in deep conversation on religion. After a while, the young lady volunteered the information that her own religious life somehow felt dissatisfied, and soon Bredesen was telling her that he too had this lack, but that he had found a, a new dimension of devotion in his life through a, a baptism of the Holy Spirit in particular in the side of speaking in tongues. Uh, 
Through what? Asked the girl, speaking in a language that God gives you, Bredesen said, and went on to tell her a little about his, about his experience. The girl's eyes uh, looking through disbelief and somewhat apprehensive. Can you speak in those tongues anytime you want to? The, the girl asked. And, and uh, he thought on, uh, as she moved to the edge of her chair, they're given to us for prayer, Harold said. Well, can you pray in tongues whenever you want to? Uh, yes. Would you like for me to pray that way now? Um, I won't embarrass you. That's not true. <laughs> I've been around Harold. He would embarrass you. Uh, <laughs> I won't embarrass you, said Bredesen. Uh, and with that, he bowed his head slightly, and after a short, silent prayer, began to speak words to him that are unintelligible. The sound that clips is full of PSs and, uh, and, uh, and uh, ESs and LSs. And when he'd finished, he opened his eyes and saw the girl's face was astonished. Why, why, I understood you. You were praising God and you were speaking in a very old Arabic language. How do you know, Bredesen asked. Then he learned that the girl was the daughter of an Egyptologist and that she herself spoke several modern Arabic dialects and had studied archaic Arabic. You pronounced the words perfectly, she said. Uh, where on earth did you learn old Arabic? Harold shook his head and said, I didn't. I didn't know there was such a language. See, Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he says, what do I have to do to have eternal life? He says, you must be born again. How can that happen? I can't go back in my mother's womb. And Jesus said, oh, Nick, 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 Nick. We're talking some supernatural things here. Logic isn't always going to work. When it comes to the spiritual things, you're going to have to step outside your comfort zone. Those little boxes that you've created, Nick, you're going to have to let something happen. You see, we receive this fullness of what God has, this second work of grace, receive in the same way we receive Christ through faith, through believing. And as God wants to do greater things in life, as we're calling out for God and saying, God, I need more. I need more, God. I need more. I've got to have more. Maybe you're facing some situations in your life that are so uncomfortable that you just don't know what to do and you're crying out to God. God is saying, I'm going to be there with the more for you. I will help you with the more. I will give you that more. It's not just those acts, but God will pay attention to those acts of deeds, and those services and those kindnesses. And it's not that we're buying God off, but it's that real heart of God that God begins to honor and say, and I'm going to give back to you, and I'm going to give back to you now, and I'm going to give you more. Moms and dads, are you, are you sick about your situation with your kids? Are you worried to death about your kids? Does it feel like, oh, God, touching my kids is just not quite enough anymore? You need a prayer language that comes from the gut deep down inside of here. It says, God, my kids are going to go to hell if you don't step in and do something. But just saying that's not strong enough, not powerful enough. God, I need more. And what Paul is saying is that when I'm praying in tongues, that I'm speaking mysteries, and it's my spirit crying out. And it's that thing inside of me that gives me the best to cry out for more. A situation that happened in, in, in Janice's family she had a brother that grew up in a Christian home, a real stinker. really was. He hasn't changed much. But <laughs> no, no, he really, really, really has. But he overdosed on drugs. We got a call and saying, Steve overdosed on drugs in the hospital, and he's not going to make it. He's not going to make it. By the time we got to the hospital, he had flatlined. It was over with. Dad was out, Janice's dad was out in the lot, out in, right outside the door, and he knew that his son was gone. And I'm going to tell you something, he didn't sit there and say, oh God, whatever you can do would be a good deal right now. From his gut came a cry in tongues, crying out for his son. Mysteries that I don't know what they were, 
But what I do know is that that dead body that was in that room as it's sitting there, the power of the Holy Spirit hit him, and he literally knocked everything around him as he came off of that, that gurney. Everything went flying because he had a dad that knew how to pray guttural prayers and said, God, if you don't come through, it's all over with. Where are you now, God? There was something that was coming from deep, deep inside that wasn't God. If you can help out, please. This is what God has in mind for his kids. That more, when you get to that place of God, my job is in jeopardy. My, my house is in jeopardy. God, I need for you to step in and, and to do the more. God, I need that more inside of, inside of me. God, will you, will you give me that presence and that power of your Holy Spirit? But I'm a believer. Don't I have the Holy Spirit in my life? Yes, you do. But there's an activation of that more. Paul talked with people and he asked them the question, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? People that believed in Jesus, have you received this? Paul was saying there's going to be a more that, that can be there when, when you really want, when you're going to be crying out for it. And so what I'm saying is, is, God, you can't contain box. Well, I've arrived. I've stepped across that line of faith, and it's all over with. God has more and more and more in mind for every one of us. I'm, I'm going to read one last little thing for you out of the book. And, and it, this has to do with Sherelle's journey. He's gone through this journey of, of theologically saying, okay, I know that it's for today. Uh, keep in mind, this is the editor of Guidepost magazine. This is a very, very, very intellectual man, not a Dust Bowl person. And for those of us, other people like me that are Dust Bowl people, you, you know what I'm talking about. But, but here's a very intelligent man, a very uh, uh, learned man. And he's coming to this encounter that this is something that is real. It's not just for some, some emotionally wounded people. Uh, Sherelle gets to this place. He's going to he's accept this encounter to go to this hotel to meet with his room. He says, I walk in the room. I look around. And there's not one Pentecostal there at all. They were all everything from, from high church, Catholic, um, all over the place. And he says, I walked in. One of the, one of the men says, one of the, after sitting some time in prayer and, and, and worship, says the voice says, I believe that John wants the baptism of the Holy Spirit. At the time, there in room 405, nothing of this was going through my mind. Just the opposite. The very nature of the hour was a, was a pure experience with a maximum of allowing it to happen, what was going to happen, uh, and to minimize um, the analysis. The group moved close around me, it was almost as if they were, uh, were there to, to bless me in a special way. Uh, I, it, the, the, the Holy Spirit flowed into me as I sat there, listening to the Spirit songs around me. Now the, the tongues swelled. Now, now my tongue swelled uh, in, in a crescendo of music. And, and I opened my mouth, wondering if I too could join in this incredible song. But nothing happened. I felt numbness in my lips and the constriction of my throat. And suddenly, I had the impression that in order to speak in tongues, that I had to only look up. But this was a, a joyful gesture. All my training and inclination was to approach God with my head bowed. Strange that such a simple gesture, like lifting the head, should become a battleground. And soon, perhaps because I did not obey uh, quickly enough, another direction came clear. Not only was I to lift my head, but I was to lift my hands too. And I was to cry out with a feeling in me with a great shout to praise God. A hot anger flush uh, rose and flowed through me. It was the thing above all things that I didn't want to do. Perhaps because it was a very repugnant to me the issue of, was, was drawing close, uh, and it was the, uh, the issue of sheer obedience. What other possible significance could there be in raising my hands and opening my mouth with words of praise? But that was what I was to do, and I knew it. Foolish as it seemed, or maybe because it seemed foolish, I heard E. Stanley Jones say, I had to become God's fool. With a sudden burst of will, I thrust my hands into the air, my face upwards, and to the top of my voice, I shouted, Praise the Lord. 
It was a floodgate that opened up from deep inside me, deeper than I had ever prayed before. I, I knew voice could... I, um, I knew voice could go. Uh, it came to a, uh, to a torturing sound of a joyfulness. It was, not, it was not beautiful like the tongues around me. I had the impression that it was ugly, explosive, and grunting. But I didn't care. It was a healing, and it was forgiveness. It was love too deep for words. And it, it burst from with inside me in, in, in wordless sounds. And after that, there was the shattering effort of my will. My will was released, freed to soar into union with him. No further conscious effort was required for me at all, not even choosing the syllable with which to express my joy. The syllables were all there, already formed in my new use, more abundant than my earthly lips and my tongues could ever give. It was not that I felt out of control in this situation. I had never felt more truly the master of myself, more integrated into peace and, and awareness of, of, of what was around me. I could stop the tongue at any time, at any instant, but I didn't want to. I wanted them to never stop. And so I prayed on and on, laughing and free, while sitting in the, the sun shone through the window. And later on, the stars came out that night as I prayed. He goes on to say that after that, how this, this, this language, this prayer language changed his life, this work of grace in his life. He says that even as I viewed nature, I found myself looking at God's creation and, and, and praising God in tongues for his creation. And to say that the trees are beautiful, the mountains are beautiful, was no longer enough because my communion with God was so intense and so deep that even looking ahead at his creation required a deeper thank you, required a deeper way of saying, but God, your creation is beautiful. He says, I found myself at night not just praying for my, my family and praying for my friends, but my intercession from deep, deep inside, I began to cry out saying, but God, I want, I want to bless more of you. I want more of you. And God, your situation, that tongue must answer, come, pray that prayer, that prayer of God, the heart of God that's going to solve the problem for my friends in the situation that, that are, they are in. Of hurts that they received when they were kids, that tongue is going to pray intelligently. I, not, I don't understand it, but my spirit prays and God understands it. And what I'm saying is simply this, folks. As we were talking about the Holy Spirit I, I want to, to encourage you to embrace all that God has. When you're finding yourself saying, I need more, I need more of God, be willing to step out. My goal in this church is not to have everybody come in and speaking in tongues. I, I, I want to be like the Apostle Paul. I want to say to every one of you, probably not, none of you here probably ever heard me pray in tongues. Probably none of you ever have, unless you come on a Sunday night in the believers' meetings. I want to be like Paul. I want to say in the, in the gathering like this, a public gathering, I'd rather say five intelligent words than a thousand words that are not understood. But he says, but I thank God that I pray in tongues more than, 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 than anyone else, than the rest of you all put together. I believe in the power of, I know the power of it. I've had it save my life numbers and numbers of times. And it's something that I, I can't just keep to myself because I'm as well, I'm uncomfortable with it. It's a, it's, it's, it's a teaching, it's a gift that is for, for, for all of us. That power of the Holy Spirit alive inside of you. No, there are no secondary Christians, but God has got more. He is so powerful that he can't be contained and God has more and more and more for you. If you find yourself saying, God, I need more. God, I need a better way to, to pray for my kids. Holy Spirit, Come, release it in me. I want to ask the worship man to come to the front. And ask the ushers to come to the front also. I've kept you over today. Um, I don't apologize for it. Um, um, but there was, there was nothing in my message I could have cut out today that would have cut it down. And so thank you for investing more time. God will give it to you. 
tonight as you sleep. Father, this morning, we thank you that you have given to us the gift of the Holy Spirit. First of all, draws us to Jesus, that shows us that we need to accept Christ. If there's anyone here that has never accepted you, Lord, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit right now to tap them on the shoulder and let them know that you've paid the price for them to come into a relationship with you. Holy Spirit, come and do your work in everyone's heart and lives right now. For those that are saying more, I want more. I pray that you would give them that more. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Now bless this offering as we seek to be a mission here, Lord. Light in a dark and dying world. Blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Stand.